Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. This is a podcast from Minute Media. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of books that have come out this week. And also, we're going to be talking about one older book that was suggested on iTunes for us at the end of the podcast. That is Catwoman, The Cat File. So we'll be getting that later. If you'd like to request a book, you can do that on iTunes as well. Just leave us a rating and a comment. Could be an old graphic novel, trade collection, comic book maybe that's new that we just haven't gotten to, whatever it is. All good. We love talking about it. It could be it. anything. It could be something we want to read, like a, yeah. he wants to shout out like some Punisher thing. Ace, Aceman and Laird Seasman, Ninja Turtles, you know? Yeah. I mean, Pete, that would be fun. Don't request it right here. If you could just go to the iTunes comments, yeah. uh, leave us a five-star rating would be great. Yeah. And then, Throw out uh, one of your burner accounts. Like, don't talk shit up, about What's up, everybody? Us. It's me, Pete LePage. I'm one of the hosts of the show. It's and me, Pert like- LePurge. I'm just a regular <laughs> fan of the show, just here to recommend Punisher number 6,000. So the far, where I've he left, guns it up. I've left 50 comments under different names, so you're it's oh, fair game, wow. Pete. Go for it. Let's kick it off with some new books, though. The Jurassic League, number one from oh, DC man. Comics, yeah. written by Juan Gideon and fun. Daniel Warren Johnson. Art by Juan Gideon. Now, Pete. You're a huge Daniel Warren Johnson fan. This is yeah. a new book that he's not doing the art on, but it does have dinosaur versions of the Justice League. So it's like, it is, it feels I don't know how very, you're feeling about this. Well, he's a co-writer. You know, as someone who's mm. a co-host, I understand. You know, what I mean? like sometimes <laughs> it's nice to work on a collaboration. You know, mm-hmm. you still get your voice out there, but it's not all you. Um, so, yeah, I think this is just a ton of fun. The art's fantastic. And uh, it's just, it's cool. It is just like, uh, you know, I mean, my favorite was the Wonder Don. um, But man, uh, you know, just kind of seeing all the different ones. It's easy to get the premise. It's fun to follow. And uh, the the art is just uh, really great. And it brings you right back to the the golden, uh, well, Jurassic era, if you will. Wow. But you said it's easy to get the concept. So just, uh, sorry, slow down for me here. Yep. This, so there's a bunch of dinosaurs here. No, but no, they're no, no. Dressed, here, here we go. No, no. Here's, here's, like what, here's the premise. Here's the premise, okay? Oh, boy. Yeah. What oh, I, I can't believe I missed this. The Justice League. Superman was, and his friends. Yeah. His amazing friends. Dinosaurs. So it's dinosaurs so uh, survived, but instead of evolving into humans, we evolved into these kind of like uh, dinosaur that are smaller, but kind of more, you know, buff and action-y yeah. a little bit. So, yeah. Like the TV show Dinosaurs, but for superheroes, I got you. Uh, nope, uh, nope. Uh, not the mama. No? <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you, reading this book, my main reaction was, does it make sense that these dinosaurs are wearing clothes and these other dinosaurs aren't wearing clothes? And then I decided it didn't matter, and I just yeah. enjoyed the book. Don't overthink this. And that's exactly Jesus the point. Christ. Like, it's the kind of book that you just you just write it. And yeah, I think like, the, All right. the the team here is doing a great job of just keeping it fun and letting it just be like, no, this is what we're doing. They're just yeah. dinosaurs, and they're wearing um, spandex. I don't know how they found it. They found a spandex mine of some mm-hmm. sort and uh, put it on, and they're off to the races. Well, you know, just real quick, I wanted to say about Juan Gideon's art that uh, it's it's actually very fondly reminiscent of Daniel Warren Johnson's yeah, art. Like, exactly. I think there's a similar sense to it. So even though he wasn't doing the art, I still thought – it, it felt right. At it's home. in Go his ahead. neighborhood. Yeah, exactly, for sure. Exactly. Maybe they're friends. And, and that's the thing. Probably that's, not. They're probably enemies. Maybe but, one of them is a dinosaur. We don't oh, know. 
that's how that's, that's how they get in the head of the dinosaurs. It's tiny brains. They're birds. You know, dinosaurs are birds now. Did you know? You know what that? I, bet, I bet. I bet they went into the DC office and they had like all of these pitches. They pitched like a Detective Chip book, right? They pitched like uh, Justice League Dark, a Green Lantern book, a bunch of other things. And they're like, "Do you have anything from your experience?" And in the back of their like tiny little dinosaur brains, they're like, "This brains. is what I didn't want to do." Everybody's always it's talking so about obvious. how I'm a dinosaur who wears clothes. It's like, sure, fine, I'll pitch from my experience. And that's how they got this book. Two things on what you just said, Alex. I like that you started mm-hmm. with a, they have a detective chimp pitch as your A, a story to go a in. A story. Like, going, detective chimp. GC, man, you got to start big. You got to <laughs> yeah. start big. Yeah. Sorry, everyone's. I went. This is the sixth Detective Chin pitch we got. In there. <laughs> Second, no way they went in there was just saying stuff. They brought all the Justice League dressed up. They dressed up birds to look like the Justice League and said, "You got to de-evolve these birds." And then you got you know what you got dinosaurs. And that's why when you see people pitching, they always walk in with six bird cages with the the pitches on a costume I, on a bird. That's where the phrase canary in the pitch mind comes from. Uh, the canary in the canary dies during the pitch. You're like, oh, we're not picking Justin, I don't pitch. know what happened, but I'm sorry your brain broke on this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> US, I, I do know what happened, but that's fine. Um, well, another great thing about pitching DC with birds is you can go right into the children's magic show that you have later in the afternoon <laughs> and make those birds... Disappear! <laughs> Why don't we move on and talk about the first of several free comic book day books. Now, you probably all know this if you're listening out there, but this past Saturday was free comic book day. You can go into your comic book shop, pick up a book. If you did go in and you didn't also buy a book, I'd recommend going back to that shop and buying a book because... They actually need to pay for these free comic books. So that's a hot little tip for you. Uh, But that said, we are going to talk about some of them because they still use this as an opportunity to release some bigger titles and tease some bigger events coming down the road. Starting with Free Comic Book Day, Judgment Day, number one from Marvel, written by Kieran Gillen, Danny Lohr, and Jerry Dugan, art by Dustin Weaver, Karen S. Darbo, and Matteo Lali. This is kicking off Avengers versus X-Men versus Eternals, the big event coming later this summer in the Marvel Universe. This is through the lens of the Eternals book. It is narrated by the big computer that has been narrating the Eternals book. Um, I'll tell you what, I'm uh, somewhat ambivalent about this event, or at least I was going into it. But reading this book, Kieran Gillen's tone on Eternals in particular is so good and so much fun that I felt like, okay, if this is what this event is going to be, I'm good. I'll, I'll read it because it's going to be a good time. Uh, what'd you guys think though? I think the same thing. And I think what they're, they've done a good job with here is they are putting it, they're really looking at the pieces on the board and they're um, using the elements correctly. They're like, mutants are 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 they deviating too hard because that comes into eternal's territory and the avengers are just like we're always checking on stuff so they're always in the mix so that it brings everybody together in a natural way um and they even say in the book like the avengers and the x-men have fought before but never like this oh <laughs> it got me oh, feels man. different I, I felt like that uh, that giant uh, in the book where my head exploded with the uh, verses and the verses and the verses. Uh, but I love all this action. So, man, sign me up. There you so go. what are all the villains going to do during this event? Exactly. Like back, watch. watch everything burn. Speaking of which, why don't we move on to Archie meets Riverdale, number one from what? Archie Comics, written by what? What? I just want to say the art's really bananas. <laughs> what? Good. what? what? It was bananas good. It was bananas good. Archie meets Riverdale, number one from Archie Comics, written by Daniel Kibblesmith, art by Pat and Tim Kennedy. You can probably figure out what happens here from the title. But due to a mix-up by Dilton Doily from the regular oh, Archie no, Comics. No, that guy. When, he mix, uh, when he mixes uh, up, it's a problem. Because yes. you know what? He's too smart. Uh, people from the Archie Comics universe and the Riverdale universe start switching places. So we get to see a mashup of these two universes. We get to see hot Archie meet regular Archie, among other things. And of course, he takes his shirt off. I mean, it's a good time. What a good time reading a comic book. It's like a drawing. It's a drawing meeting a doodle. I'll tell you what I did like. A little bed. Bughead action. (laughs) 
<laughs> You're too excited, Pete. You're like a little bad. Do, 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 love living. Give me some more of that. I, I did that appreciate much. that one thing Daniel did with this book, and I'll mention he's a friend of the show. We've had him on a couple of times. Uh, great stuff. Very funny. Clearly knows what's going on in these two universes. I appreciated the fact that even though Betty, no, Jughead popped into the Riverdale universe, they kept him asexual. Like, that is what he is in regular Archie comics. So they didn't force a romance between Pointy Nose, Jughead, and Betty or anything like that. So they kept that stuff separate. I think that was nice. Um, there's a bunch of fun surprises throughout the book. The art is very fun. The mashups of art. Um, Reggie's great. Reggie's great. Uh, good jokes throughout. Like, there's some good jokes about Riverdale, some good jokes about Archie Comics. Yeah. You, know what you're, you know what you're getting when you get into it, and that's what this title delivered. And, you know, it's not easy to pull something like this off. It's, like, super meta. It's, like, a you know, a mashup between just two different media forms of these characters. So you got to really tread the line smartly, and, um, and Daniel does it. And the artist, I thought, does, did a great job of letting the worlds collide and, and stick out against each other, but not like it wasn't ever confusing about what was happening. So and just a great, fun um, book to read. And, and something that I hope the show starts doing more uh, is bringing Sabrina in. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, come on. You, you she work. is. Later on in the season, she's coming back. Yeah, that's what it's I'm saying. Happening. Do it more. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Next up, free comic book day, Dark Crisis, number zero from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson and Dennis Culver, art by Jim Cheung, Chris Burnham, and Rafa Sandoval. Again, this is a kickoff of DC's big event, this time as Pariah being controlled by the Great Darkness, or being an avatar of the Great Darkness, is controlling all of the other big villains of the DC Universe. The Justice League is dead. A new Justice League has risen in their place, and it's all about to go down in the pages of Dark Crisis. Pete, it looks like you have a question. Yeah, I just, I don't have a question. It's just something that I wanted to say, and that is fine. You know what? You know, I, t- I, I say a lot of things about zero issues, but on free comic book day, if you want to do a zero issue, fine. Wow. I'll let you. Wow. That, that, that's great. It works this out really like well. This is like your Rum Springer, but for this zero is, issues. Yeah, this, yeah. Uh, you know what? Good for you. You did this well. <laughs> I feel like this is a perfect example of a use of a zero issue that works. And uh, frankly, I was impressed with it. Hmm. Just really? about you. What do you think of this one? Yeah, I mean, I like <clears throat> I like this. I like Clayface in here as a villain. I like. I think this book does a good job of really showing the danger of a world without the Justice League uh, in it. And uh, obviously, we've done crises before. We've done events like this before, and a, a world uh, Justice League we've done before. But this feels like the elements are there to form this new Justice League, and it feels like we, the reader, can see it before even the book is showing it to us in a, in a good way. Yeah, that's yeah, the big I, thing. Omix. Oh, go ahead, Pete. I was just going to say, yeah, I also felt very seen um, where uh, Clayface couldn't hold it together. Mm-hmm. Little kid broke him at his day job. And, uh, you know, sometimes you got to just kind of turn around and yell at somebody's kid, you know, because the kid's acting out of line. And uh, I feel like that, that was fair and fun and a great use of Clayface. I think it's, uh, you know, it's a good time for sure. Yeah, this to me feels like another one of those DC events that's trying to explain away the bananas continuity that's gone (laughs) on for decades at this point. And your mileage may vary, but Joshua Williamson, I think, is doing a solid job of figuring all that out and then pushing this forward. So we'll see how it executes in the title itself. I hope it lives up to the crisis name, but so far it's off to a nice, solid start. Let's. Uh, uh, One other thing I want to say. Wow, so many things. Uh, wow, look at this. Uh, all right, well, I'll go and then you go. Uh, but I did want to say also, though, uh, not to be all negative about kids, uh, the kids in this comic, though, that saved the day really stepped up. I really thought that was a really kind of beautiful uh, uh, metaphor for what the comic was going for. But also the art was really, really good. Um, yeah, I was going to – the the way on uh, sort of the middle of the issue, I think it was like the second um, – sort of section the history of the DC multiverse right. bit when the um, sort of the dark hand light hand metaphor mm-hmm. and we see the fingers with all the different crisis uh, villains, super villains throughout here. I thought that was a, one of the best visual explainers 
um, of the DC universe and how the villains are all working from one single source. Saying it, showing us without saying it, I thought this was just really great. And DC uh, loves their giant hands in space, oh, so that yeah. worked really well as well. Yeah. I was only surprised that that hand didn't have 52 fingers, and then everything would come together. Oh, that's so smart. Don't You know what? We should bring that in there with, a, with 52 birds. <laughs> this is a good idea. <laughs> we'll dress up the birds as fingers. Uh, Justin has lost <laughs> This is good. This is Justin good. has lost his mind. We're going to pitch this. We're going to pitch this. I got a line on 51 okay. birds. You, okay, Dan Dio, who I think is still in charge. No. 52 <laughs> birds with 52 fingers. What do you think, Detective Chip? Let's go. That's good. It's a detective chimp series. He's got 52 uh, chimp fingers. (laughs) I just need to catch one pigeon tomorrow and we're set the appointment, okay? All right, great. Next up, another big event kicking off, Hulk versus Thor, Banner of War Alpha from Marvel, written by Donny Cates, art by Martin Cococlio. This is bringing together the stuff that Donny has been writing both in Hulk and Thor. Hulk is in... A spaceship in his own body, and Thor is talking to his dad, who is in his hammer. So a lot of weird stuff that needs to be set up here. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, uh, Donnie does it, has a lot of fun, brings you right in. Donnie does it again. Donnie does it again. Donnie does it. Let me pitch you this. Here's my pitch. Donnie does it again. What are we thinking? <laughs> um, I mean, Donnie does it. There's a great moment here where the, the uh, Mjolnir is uh, on Hulk, and he's like, "You can't get up." They're on the yeah. the bridge of the starship, the meat ship Hulk, and he's like, "You can't get up." The hammer's on you. He's like, "I've got it. Let's it, it, show me every hit Thor's ever gotten on me." And he gets so mad that he p- sits up through his torso. The hammer <laughs> falls through. And he's like, let's go. Well, in defense, the hammer doesn't move. He lifts, you know, kind of through the That's hammer. That's what I'm saying. He, yeah, lifts, yeah. he doesn't lift the hammer. He yeah. lifts his, the meat. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's super gross. But also the moment is where... A, sorry, is that how you refer to your body is the meat? Yeah, exactly. When I'm doing a push-up, I'm like, time to lift the meat. Oh, man. <laughs> God, I got to go in and get you up in the shower and clean the meat. Oh, my God. <laughs> That means something different than you think it means. Uh, Go ahead, boy. Um, yeah, this this title is kind of insane uh, with this kind of battle because we we kind of have both the characters a little bit out of their gourd. So the moments where they're both kind of looking at each other, being like, "Who are you talking to?" was nice. Um, and uh, but yeah, I mean the fight was insane. The fact that he did a push up, kind of like, and uh, left half of his body there was insane. Uh, but uh, I'm excited to see what's going to happen and how this moves forward. Um, yeah, this was amazing action, fantastic art, a crazy idea. I'm all for it. What would you think about to inspire yourself to push a hammer through your back? Uh, it would just yeah. be it would just be you in danger, buddy. Oh, that sounds so nice. That is the opposite of what I thought you were going to (laughs) say. Exactly. Uh, Pete, Pete, the meat's in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, 8 Billion Genies, number one from Image Comics, written by Charles Saul, art by Ryan Brown. This is reteaming the team from Curse Words on a new title. As you can probably figure out from the title, the idea is that every single person on Earth Gets a genie with you one get a wish. Genie. You get a genie. You get a genie. All at the same time, and not to spoil it too much, turns out very poorly almost immediately uh, as we focus on one bar and a couple of characters in this bar who get genies, as well as in the next issue, we're going to blast out and see what happened to the rest of the world. A uh, big concept here, big complicated concept. How do you think it played out in the first issue? I, I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, you know, this curse words um, was a book that felt like it was sort of moving um, through short arcs and um, they were sort of figuring out as they went. And I don't mean that as a slam. I just think it felt like the, it was like a fun, almost sketch pad of a book where they're like, let's see what we can push these characters through over the course of several years of making it. This one feels like, oh, we've got a plan here from the jump and it's about. Uh, that recklessness of being a human. And we've got our main character, one of the main characters, the bar owner, who very quickly is like, makes his wish. And it's a very smart wish. And I think it sets up just a great dynamic and like a headquarters for. There's a little, 
there's a little too much to that bartender. I feel like there's going to be more uh, than mm-hmm. meets the eye with that bartender. Well, you know what? He looks a little bit like your classic genie. Yeah, 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 exactly. I was like, he's got genie looks, genie mm-hmm. vibes. Genie vibes. Retired genie. I'm getting too I, old for this shit. Yeah, but you got to be upset, though, that you uh, you make a wish. And then the fact that the bartender did a super wish and you got gypped on yours, you got to be upset. I mean, that's got to so be So here's tough. the big question. If you got a genie right now, what would be your one wish? Justin? Uh, I'd hold on to that genie wish for a while. See, yeah, here's the thing. I mean, you you don't rush people, into that. You get one wish, you wish. Like, hold up, hold up. Let's see how mm-hmm. things, you know. Uh, but, yeah, the it was funny to kind of see the person with the more money than they w- know what to do with. You know, that was an interesting one there. Uh, I liked the people who wanted a giant Voltron to fly around in. I mean, that's just smarts, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. That's what, what so are you not going to do with that? Yeah, Just exactly. Giant Voltron? Is that what you'd go for? Yeah. Would I mean, you have to get four friends to do it? With? No, you don't need it. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, if you. Oh, if I, that's a great point. I would wish for four friends. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And but no Voltron? Seems, I don't think so. seems yeah. weird. <laughs> Just, <laughs> Just the very idea of having four friends seems inconceivable to me. Oh, I, wow. Well, let me be honest, Alex. It's a lot to juggle. I don't know if you want to. If you don't have Voltron to keep you busy, what are you guys going to do? Play cards? It's an odd number. I, I can't even imagine. It's I an even. I haven't thought that far in advance. To be no, honest, no, but with him, it's five. Oh, I see what you're yeah. saying. It's wild. So you know, five people is a hard. Um, here's my prediction for this book: the last wish will get rid of all the what the wishes. Oh, that's why. Mm-hmm. That's why you were like, "Oh, wait for it." You got to wait for yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. This book is great. I'm very excited to follow it. This team is great. Ryan Brown's art is great. Charles Soul always plans out very intricately with this stuff. So this should be a lot of fun. Why don't we move on and talk about Wonder Woman 787 from DC Comics, written by Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad and Jordi Belair, art by Emanuela Lupacino and Paulina Ganeshow. This is is picking up after the end of Trial of the Amazons, as well as yet another story of young Wonder Woman. Now, coming out of this event that I think we were mixed positive about, I'd say, at the end of the day, how how are you feeling about Wonder Woman at this point? Well, I think I think this is a great issue because we kind of uh, we get to see Doctor Psycho's kind of like full plan here. So now we know a little bit more about what's happening, which is great. Also, um, you know, we kind of you see a classic example of why you don't monolo- do a villain monologue, because if the superhero can hear you, uh, it really gives everything away. So classic kind of rookie mistake here, which was fun. But uh, also, like, Wonder Woman was just kind of like, hey, you know what? I hope you don't kill yourself. I'm out of here. Like, that was a kind of crazy <laughs> yeah. moment. It's like, whoa, all right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm enjoying Wonder Woman. Uh, I really like the art and the storytelling and kind of putting Wonder Woman in different situations here than we normally see. So cool, cool stuff. Uh, sorry, I was confused here. How come she's not a dinosaur? Mm. That's that's not, that's just in one book. That's, that doesn't mean all the, uh, this is my problem with comics. They're impossible to read. I mean, what's even going on with them? You know, what's happening? Uh, I do like this book a lot. I feel this um, this issue a lot. I, I the especially stuff at the back half where you can tell um, uh, Wonder Woman's got some issues with uh, her ex and her sort of mm, I don't know flirtation are roommates, and that's gonna be trouble down the road. Uh, I- I agree with you. I really like when they get past the trial of the Amazon stuff, which is solid, mind yeah. you. But I think this setup with Doctor Psycho in particular. Uh, putting him forward as like a men's right activist yeah. type person is so smart. Love that. What a great place to put him. What uh, so pointed and present to Guy's the current Guy's a piece day. of garbage. He is. And uh, putting him in that way is great. So really good choice there. And as always, the backup is really good as well. Let's move on and talk about free comic book day, Spider-Man <laughs> Venom, number one for Marvel, written by Zeb Wells, Al Ewing, and Ram V, art by John Romita Jr. and Stefano Raphael. Unlike the other ones, this is teeing up something I think a little further down the road. This is setting up the big Spider-Man event that is coming our way, I, I think, in the fall, but I might be wrong about that. As yeah, well as Dark TA, Web. Dark Web. Dark Web. As uh, well as what is coming up in the Venom title. Uh, what'd you guys think about this one? Well, first off, Bananas Art. I mean, come on. Or 
Romita Jr. Uh, that's just kind of classic stuff. And, you know, we... Uh, we we've all felt like taking it to uh mailbox every once in a while. So yeah, it was nice to kind of like see Spider-Man work out some of the aggression on that mailbox, you know, who was uh, super mean to that nice old man. Well, I'll tell yeah. you what, uh, I just want to throw this out there when I was reading this. So there's this mailbox with a lot of teeth who was right. attacking people and Spider-Man has to take him down. I read that and I was a little confused because I didn't know what was going to happen in the book. And I was like, is this Venom? Is Venom a mailbox now? What is I happening? I thought it was a mailbox situation. But it also, there is a classic thing in the Inferno crossover, the X-Men Inferno crossover, where there is a mailbox who eats people. And that stuck with me from reading that crossover for years. And I was like, this is weird because it's like the Venom thing, but it's the Inferno thing. What is happening? Is it the same mailbox? And ultimately, spoiler, but the reveal is Dark Web is going to be Ben Riley, who is now a villain teaming up with the Goblin Queen, who was a key character in the Inferno crossover. I don't know how that's going to play out, but uh, as a fan of Inferno, I'm curious to see it happen, is how I'd put it. <coughs> yeah. I agree. I love that you did such a deep dive on Marvel Mailbox continuity there. I check out marvelmailboxes.com. That's my website, and nobody visits it. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. We should um, maybe make it a, like a, a mail thing rather than email. Oh, like it a newsletter? Like, yeah. Like okay. a zine. Ooh, that's a good idea. Zines are hot right now. Let's move on then and talk about Grim, number one for Boob Studios, written by Stephanie Phillips, art by Flaviano. This is a book about a Grim Reaper who's ushering somebody to the other side. Predictably, it goes a little wrong and then goes even more wrong in other ways. What did you think about the kickoff for this new series? Well, I'll tell you what, this book, at first I was like, okay, this is sort of like a, a, a story we've seen before. Uh, it vaguely reminded me of, like, your death from the Sandman universe. Um, but then uh, very quickly, um, the characters really pop, and uh, we get to see that it's like a, a very different afterlife world. And um, uh, the mystery surrounding, well, I guess, our main character is is intriguing, and I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah, I got to say, uh, I really like the character design. It kind of almost had like a, a Beetlejuice meets kind of like a, a grim kind of fairy tales thing. And uh, I did you, like- sorry, did you call did you say my name meets? Uh, did you call for meats? <laughs> yeah, I did call for meats. I'm you sorry. have to say it three times or he's not allowed to come back yeah. to life. Yeah. Um, Meetlejuice. Meetlejuice. Oh, um But the art is really fantastic. Um, uh, yeah, I thought this was a great first issue. Sets up a world. Gets you very excited for more. And uh, yeah, I'm interested to see how this unfolds and uh, what happens to kind of to our main character who was very cool with being drunk and driving, which I didn't appreciate. Fair enough. Suicide Squad, <laughs> Get Joker, number three from DC Comics, written by Brian Azzarello, art by Alex Believe. This is the last issue of this book, which is a black label book, so it takes place out of continuity. But... Everybody is going after Joker, including a second Suicide Squad. Our first Suicide Squad is led by Jason Todd, the Red Hood. The second one is even more brutal than the first one, and it's an all-out brawl to see who's going to get the Joker by the end here. Um, I love the art in this book, of course. It's Alex Maleev, absolutely fantastic. But I'll throw this out here right now for a little bit of discussion, potentially. I wish this had had a non-ambiguous ending because I what? feel like it did I, have a non-ambiguous ending. No, 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 ambiguous ending. Oh, okay. He wants, yeah. <laughs> because I think with black label, your opportunity is to tell stories that have never been told, particularly if they are out of continuity. So yeah. I understand why they didn't give a definitive ending here, but I found it ultimately a little frustrating even if overall I really enjoyed this book. Okay, so wait, 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 wait. You kind of put this out there. Now I'm thinking you're thinking I'm different things. Who do you think shot who? I mean, my takeaway, if we're going to talk about spoilers for the book here, so if you yeah. don't want to know spoilers, turn away for the next couple of minutes from the podcast. Um, I do think ultimately that Jason Todd killed the Joker. That's probably your ending here. But no. That's what I think. No, you think the other thing. Yeah, you saw the Joker had the gun right there on his side. 
I think he shot his dick off. What do you think, Justin? What the fuck? Oof, a lot of options here. Real JFK style situation <laughs> we're talking about. Because Jason Arnold, second JFK shooting. shot his dick off, right? Yeah, I remember that. He already has been shot that's once. That's from the, the second Stone shooter. Movie. The second he, shooter. He's already shot. He's a little slow. Joker's got the JFK? gun right there. Oh, Joker. So, yeah, I think Joker got him. If you think about it, JFK... There's a J at the Stop. beginning of Joker. Stop saying the F it. is kind of like the E, and then there's an R at the end, so it's basically the same thing. Yeah, it's like JK. Mm-hmm. Just fucking kidding is what <laughs> JFK stands for. Right. Uh, I think that Jason Todd shot Joker. I mean, uh, I, it's a bummer. If it goes the other way, it's a bummer. If it goes that way, then it's sort of like he finally got his revenge. Yeah, yeah but did he? Because we didn't see it on. But first off, I love the ending. I also really thought the art was great. I think it was great use of the black label as far as like pushing things kind of like uh, uh, in a darker uh, kind of uh, than than normally um, where people are actually dying. So I thought, uh, yeah, great use of that. And I liked the Harley Quinn cried. I thought that was a very touching moment. And also great use of a lot of different uh, characters that you don't get to normally see. So I appreciated all the kind of character shots. We got Mad Dog in there, you know, from the Arrow. <laughs> yeah. Overall, <laughs> really good book. Uh, definitely check it out. Let's move on and talk about Captain America, Symbol of Truth, number one for Marvel, written by Toki Onyebuchi, art by R.B. Silva. In this issue, we're following Sam Wilson, who is Captain America, as he is investigating a new mystery given to him by Misty Knight. They're dating, by the way, and it's very yeah. cute. Well, well she I said heard it wasn't. It's not a yeah, date. Yeah, it wasn't dating. a date. Come on. Come on. I don't uh, know. I like this book. I thought this was pretty good. What'd you guys think? I also I did like, like this book. The two of them together. I like that date. I hope it yeah. uh, grows into something more. Yeah, I definitely love this book. I thought the art was fantastic. Um, it was kind of cool to see uh, Misty Knight. I haven't seen her since Luke Cage. Um, uh, series on uh, Netflix, so I uh, I'm, I miss her. I'm great to see her back, and uh, I hope they team up. At, if they don't date, at least they get to team up on stuff. But uh, yeah, I thought this was a fantastic issue. Great kind of setting things up, moving things forward, and uh, yeah, yeah, uh, it's some touching stuff there when they uh, reveal like the people hiding there, and then somebody, you know, the uh, guys like. He knows them, so I thought that was kind of crazy. I like Sam as Captain America, especially in this book. Um, I feel like uh, the Steve Rogers cap was like so allergic to relationships, almost of any kind. Like he uh, would just sort of be like, uh, "Yeah, we're dating," but well, like, he's just never seemed that way. And to see a Captain America who's like into uh, a, a partner was really cool and feels like so much more realistic and all of the, this, the, the touches on, on Sam here are great. Um, so yeah, very excited to, to get more into this book. Game pass or pass is a podcast that puts the Xbox game pass library to the test to see which games you should play and which games you should pass on by. Every game taken directly from the Xbox Game Pass for console or PC gets either a recommendation to check it out, or maybe you should just pass it on by and try something else. But don't pass on Game Pass or Pass, which is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, CastBox, and Pocket Casts right now. Did you know there was a Doctor Strange movie in 1978? Or that Tim Burton and Nicolas Cage almost made a Superman movie in the mid-90s? On Superhero Cinephiles, we take you on a journey into the world of superhero films, including the acclaimed, the infamous, and the obscure. And you might just be surprised at some of our takes, because here, we want to talk about the things we love, not the things we hate. Listen to Superhero Cinephiles on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on the web at SuperheroCinephiles.com, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at SuperCinemaPod. 
Let's move on and talk about Avatar Adapt or Die, number one from Dark Horse Comics, written by Karina Becco, art by Benny R. Lobel. Of course, Avatar Fever has once again gripped the nation thanks to the blockbuster trailer for Avatar The Way of Water, which just dropped. The Way of Water. Way of Water. Just dropped Uh. in theaters, also just dropped online as well. And now we're getting a title where a bunch of avatars are doing avatar things on their avatar world. What do you think about this comic book? <laughs> um, I don't know. Does this Pete, tell me if this works? Um, okay. I find the whole avatar situation bananas bad. Is <laughs> <laughs> that does that mean what yeah. I want it to mean? Yeah, Pete? it does. Yeah, nice job. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, yeah. So I'm just not and like watching the trailer. Like it's cool to watch. It's like watching someone throw a bunch of candy in the air, where you're like, ah, oh, cool. That's cool. But you're not like. I can. I want to watch this for two hours. I want to watch this every day. Um, I want. I don't even want to eat the candy. Honestly, let it hit wow. the ground. Uh, wow. Our first off, there's a lot to unpack there, but let's just try to deal with it one at a time. So you would let candy hit the ground. What you catch every piece of candy in the air? So yeah, we talked about this a little bit on our Moon kid. Knight podcast. In the Jewish religion, a lot of people believe that you shouldn't let a yarmulke, uh, the kippah, the thing that you put on your head, kippah. touch the ground. And if it falls, you got to kiss it. Pete feels the same way about candy. Go ahead. Yeah, you got to uh, kiss that candy. Uh, no, you got to eat the candy. candy. You eat the candy. The you ultimate catch kiss. it before it hits the ground, uh, so that you yeah, can in your enjoy. mouth. In your mouth, you dive down and you catch it in your mouth. So here's the thing about this uh, Avatar. <laughs> not a fan. So I tried to be open minded with the comic book, and uh, there were kind of moments that were cool, um, but uh, yeah, I really didn't like. Um, the humans in it, so that was tough. Uh, but um, I don't know. It was. It just. Uh, I, I want to like it. I want to. My like my issue with just the Avatar whole universe and the premises of it are they're just we've explored them a lot in a lot more interesting ways in other stories. Like yes, humans are bad for the environment, but to just do it again and be like, look. These humans destroy this environment. I'm like, I know. We have that as a real problem. Like, <laughs> tell me a different story. And it's like the military is actually, they lie and are bad for people. It's like, yeah, I know that. Get I out of say- here with this. On the positive, the art is good in this book. I think right. they do a good job yeah. of capturing the world of Pandora, the Avatar. They do, the and I'm mostly criticizing the Avatar essential premise. This yeah. book, I think, you know, it it does a good job of of setting the table and getting us into the world, um, a world that is sort of not easy to access because it is like all the characters look very similar and sort of act similar, and you don't know who is actually who uh, for, from a, uh, like what their motivations are perspective. Um, it's just like when the, at the end, the kids start getting sick. I'm like, okay, I f- have a pretty solid understanding where I think this is going. Uh, I would want to see a, a new type of story told in this. Avatar yes. universe. I agree with that. Let's move on then and talk about seven secrets. Number 17 from boom studios written by Tom hey! Taylor art by Danielle DeNicolo. Hey. This is the second to last issue ever of seven secrets. We're finally finding out what's happening with the secrets. There's some big battles some going on. There's a lot of fairies in this book, more fairies than I expected from issue number one. But Pete, you seem psyched about this. Talk about this book. Well, I'm not psyched about the ending. I tell you that I, I'm very happy with this issue. This was a great issue. We found out a ton of stuff and a lot about kind of the uh, main couple that we've been following and dealing with their child and stuff like that. Um, big reveal here. Uh, I, I, I was just I think they're making really smart moves with this book. I'm really appreciating all the stuff that's going on. I can't wait to see what's going to happen moving forward. Um, I feel like they did such a great job of like setting up this interesting world and uh, kind of meticulously paying off on uh, the different characters as it goes along. I feel like they're building towards what I hope is going to be a great ending. Um, this book does this thing that like, I don't know how it happens, but it reminds me of like an anime show that I would have watched when I was a kid where I was like, I don't quite know all the details of this. I feel like it's been running for 15 years 
in Japan that's just running here in the U.S. Big world, fleshed out, characters doing stuff, and it's going to run for the rest of my life. Um, so, and I mean that all as, as a compliment. Like, this world is feels so big. I can't believe it's ending next issue. May I feel like maybe we could kick off into something else after this. Um, but it feels like a very lived-in uh, big world. I... Agree with that one, too. Moving on to Naomi, season two, number three from DC Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis and David F. Walker, art by Jamal Campbell. Now, if you haven't listened to it, we had a great interview a couple of weeks back on the live show with David F. Walker, where he's talking about Naomi, among many, many other things. So definitely go check that one out. But in this issue, Naomi is teaming up with Cyborg and exploring the mystery of what happened to her missing friend. What do you guys think about this issue? I I thought this was a really cool last page. Uh, I really love the art. I'm I'm enjoying the fact that we're finally kind of digging into this character. I thought that Cyborg was great in this issue. I also really love his look in this issue. I thought this was a really cool choice for Cyborg. And then, uh, yeah, I'm just... Like, I feel like Naomi was kind of put upon us, and now I'm kind of, like, starting to be like, oh, this is cool. I'm enjoying this finally. I agree exactly with that. I'm enjoying this finally. The the first two issues here in this new series um, are have been great, and it feels like we're sort of past all the stuff where it's like she's a clumsy, naive, uh, big wheel in the Justice League sort of out of nowhere. Um, now it feels like we're getting into sort of the interpersonal relationships here, and it's Bendis back at some of his sort of better story areas where he's like with the Hawk, Hawk Girl in here. Oh, um, yeah. I thought that was a fun exchange and her being sort of awkwardly uh, showing up and talking to Naomi's parents and, and then the mystery that's growing um, uh, around them, uh, around her with um, her friend trying to, from Thanagar trying to help her out. Moon Knight, Black, White, and Blood, number one from yeah. Marvel, written by Jonathan Hickman, Mark Guggenheim, and Murray Iodell. The Googs? The Googs, art by Chris Bocciolo, Jorge Fornes, Ooh. and Dotin Akande. This is another of Marvel's anthologies that only uses black, white, and red to color the book. And as you can tell from the title, it is three stories about Moon Knight. Pete, you're a big Moon Knight fan. What do you think about this issue? Uh, well, first off, the botch is my guy. I mean, you I, do love the botch. Dude, if you put botch on something, I'm there. And I'm going to love it. And this was no exception. I mean, the art's bananas. Just bananas good. I mean, bananas come good. on. He's doing, he's doing a Frankencastle book in, next month that I'm curious to hear if you're going to go, go for it. fuck yourself. He is not. Go for it. Um, Pete, you'll love it. Uh, but yeah, we got to get a, uh, you know, it's a bunch of stories here, but uh, they're connected, which is enjoyable. And uh, some really great character designs, especially in the Spider-Man stuff, um, you know, similar to the uh, TV show where you kind of get a big bad guy fight in there. And uh, man, nothing, nothing like ending it with a little fun uh, Deadpool cameo. I mean, that was just a fun little thing at the end of that. But yeah, I thought overall three great stories, really amazing teams that they put together on this and they let them shine. And I think this kind of whole uh, black, white and red thing is a cool idea. and I'm glad they're keeping it going. Yeah, and the Moon Knight, uh, I was surprised to see this uh, as a book. Um, you know, Moon Knight doesn't usually get this treatment. Makes sense with the show uh, just coming out and wrapping up. Um, really like the the Hickman Bochlo stuff. Like, you know, how often does Hickman contribute to a, something like this? So that was really cool. And then I uh, really like the the last. I mean, like all the stories, but the last one really I responded to the art and that by uh, Jorge Fornes oh, uh, was just dope. really. More yeah. like four me's. I loved it. Yes. More more like four me's. Mm. Yep. Jenny Zero, <laughs> Volume 2, Homeland Insecurities, number I one from Dark Horse got Comics, him. written by got Dave Dwanch and Brockton McKinney, art by Magenta King. Now, we checked out the first issue of this book, of the first volume, and I think enjoyed it quite a bit. It is about a woman who could change into a kaiju and fight other kaijus. Here she's being taken to, I believe, Japan and still fighting kaijus, but mostly eating burgers and bonding with some old friends. What'd you think about this first issue here? 
Well, uh, first off, I love her love of burgers. Um, you know, it's it's very understandable. You would go through those kinds of lengths to get a, a quality burger. Yeah, you get uh, it. Yeah, I think this is a great kind of like setup of a badass character who can't be tied down. You know, she's going to fight her way to her burger joint. And if she's got to like, you know, sign up to do some shady stuff to get some burgers, maybe she's willing to do so as long as her cool friend's going to be there. Uh, I think they do a great job of setting up this character, giving you an idea what this character is all about, and getting you excited for more adventures with this character. Well done, Bananas Art. The end. Oh, Mic oh drop. great. Oh, you're done. Okay. Uh, uh, Justin? I, I like this issue as well. I, I think she's got, Jenny Zero, she's got a lot of attitude. Yeah. And, um, she gets to be a badass for sort of the front half of the book and then um, reconnect with some folks Yeah, she hasn't seen in a while. I don't know too much about the mystery that's sort of humming underneath um, her story and where we're headed by the end, but um, it's a fun enough story that I'm curious to see what happens. Crossover number 13 from Image Comics written by Donnie Cates. Once again, Donnie does it. Art by (laughs) Jeff Shaw. Hashtag Donnie does it. Donnie, or does he? I guess we'll find out. This is the end of a big arc here that has brought Donny Cates into the story of a bunch of comic book characters that have crossed over into the quote unquote real world finishes that up with a big twist at the end here. But uh, what did you guys think? I'll throw out first, just to start. I think he did exactly what he needed to do here because the thing weighing over the series was, of course, Donny Cates is behind it. He's the writer of the book. And they gave us a good, solid twist without getting into it, without getting into spoilers. Yeah. I think it executed really well. It executed emotionally. It's Donnie putting his heart on the page here in terms of his real life experiences. And uh, I liked it. I liked it a bunch. Um, yeah, I always uh, I don't always love meta uh, stuff in comics. This mm-hmm. series, however, has so- gone so far through the looking glass of meta um, that even an artist putting themselves in the book, another thing that, or a writer putting themselves in the book, another thing I find uh, annoying, um, it works here. And the monologue um, that uh, he's giving, sort of criticizing the book while also existing within <laughs> the book, is fun. And uh, there's a line, is like, got some fun cameos. Um, uh, throughout, I thought it was true because he, he did like he's being meta and sort of lightly criticizing a book that actually did a lot of amazing things here. So uh, it's cool. And the art's great. Um, I'm curious to see where we go uh, in this next issue. Yeah, I think this is uh, really a lot of fun, impressively done. Um, great use of Negan. Uh, I just think that like it was uh it took some real has some the some of the panels are some real old shit moments so uh impressive uh the swings being taken art's really good so i i was really impressed with this package the Sandman mm. Universe Nightmare Country number two from DC Comics, written by James Tyne of the Fourth, art by Lissandro Esteren and Andrea Sorrentino. In this issue, the Corinthian is tr- continuing to try to explore the mystery of who this weird, nightmarish tongue eye creature is when he's just a mouth eye creature. Just regular. Yeah, he's like, he's, a, he's on mouth patrol. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, I do this. Is that Why like a patrol? So- Yes. Yeah, you'll, if you you'll ever watch Paw Patrol, when... a lot of the puppies there have mouths for eyes. It's yeah. very disturbing. Except for the for ones children. that have other teeth for eyes. <laughs> uh, well, first it's off, fun. this is amazing art. Like, really amazing art. Um, and I use the word art because it's it's really impressive what they're doing here. Um, oh, Yo, you're using the word art. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also just think that, like, the... Ending was crazy bananas. Like that was very creative and very creepy. And like the nightmare after nightmare scenario that they kind of like crawl through in this episode was just, uh, it was uh, a much, a little too, too much, but man, what a page turner. Um, Yeah. I was just really impressed Um, as someone who's not the hugest Sandman uh, fan. um, And then scared of the title called Sandler's. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was a little trepidatious. Adam Sandlers. Sandlers. Uh, it's the Adam Sandlers. Yes. 
But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a really good package. Oh, I got look- that on your game, man. <laughs> it's good. Um, I love that we're slowly closing in on a time when Pete only says the word bananas in different ways. Yeah. <laughs> and it's up to us to translate for him. Uh, it's That'll fun. be a dollar twenty-five pop. Uh, what nice. was that from? A deep cut Adam Sandler quote. Um, oh, if I'm okay. speaking their language here. Yeah, I was uh, going to go for the da na na minion thing and. Uh, yeah, I know you're always trying to squeeze the minions into this conversation, <laughs> and I don't quite understand who you're aiming at with <laughs> your minions. The, the, I've never seen any minions content, and I have children. The, the Grudels, the Grudels, fans of the minions, we call ourselves Grudels. Um, cool. Uh, I, I mean, I would say we should just cut this out, but now I don't, know, <laughs> I, don't I don't honestly don't know what to talk about now. That you're. <laughs> I would, I would much rather you confess to, to committing a murder than I did. <laughs> uh, well, as a Sandman fan, what did you think of this? Um, I like this a lot. Um, I love Corinthians. Um, I love the Corinthian end. I love the Corinthians Bible. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, huge fan of the Corinthians. <laughs> uh, a lot of know. great stuff in there. Yeah, I haven't yeah. read the rest of the books. Corinthians <laughs> rocks. Yeah. Fucking slaves. I haven't read the whole Bible, but man, Corinthians is my. I'm my just jam. jumping around to the the sort of the cool parts of the Bible. <laughs> Joseph uh, can suck it, but man, Corinthians uh, yeah. is where it's at. No, in Corinthians, people are like Joseph can suck it. That's all they talk about. <laughs> they say it all the time. I did a cursory read. Um, I love the I love the Corinthian um, as a character, and to have him be sort of the central uh, part of the central mystery here, tracking down um, uh, tongue tongue eyes. Uh, it's oh, going to be fun. Yeah, and I like how they talked about it, and he was just kind of really over it. He's like, I, uh, they can just see, all right? I can just see out of yeah, teeth. Yeah, it's fun. Don't even a lot of great dialogue. I mean, it's, it's James Tynan. Like, you know he's going to bring that oh, yeah. uh, that great writing heat here. And just to uh, to close the loop on Mouth Patrol peas, when um, you a bunch of candy gets thrown in the air and you have to kiss it into your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I could do it. Shang-Chi, number 12 from Marvel, written by Gene Lun Yang, art by Marcus Toe. This is wrapping up a big arc here for Shang-Chi and then kicking it into the next title as we have introduced the Ten Rings into the Marvel Universe. A very uh, expected but nicely executed <laughs> thing, I yeah. think. Well, hey, I, you know, remember uh, course, the movie? I uh, mean... Ah, it was so now, popular, now it did here. so well. Guess what? Yeah, now it's a part of it. But, now you know, Jin Lun Yang knows what he's doing when he's writing a story and he makes it work here. And oh, I enjoyed this quite a bit. What about you guys? I also uh, really enjoyed the dragon reindeer. Yeah. I know. Fun. Um, the um, I agree with you, Alex. I think this, uh, the way this is sort of almost like a movie novelization, uh, brought into the Marvel Universe, I thought was a well executed version of that. And I'm looking forward to telling a story that we sort of don't know as much about, um, for, for Shang-Chi. Yeah. But, but I, yeah, I also just think that, um, this was a necessary kind of move to make, you know, for the comics to kind of like, uh, uh, talk about the Ten Rings and kind of have Shang-Chi kind of yeah. controlling them and kind of also being really cool with it. You know what I mean? It's like, well, hey, you know, all I need is four. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Plus, like, wearing a ring on your forearm is hard. It's I gotta hard. be honest, they're bracelets. I don't want to get into this too much because I feel like wow. people Whoa. got real angry at me wow. when I said that during the movie, but those are not rings. Those oh are bracelets, my man. god. Oh, you were shouting wow. that during the movie? I was screaming it. I was like <laughs> I was like one of those double dies people, but yeah. that was you? You sheep! It's an bracelet! It's an armlet or a bracelet. I, I don't know if you felt it, but I threw a soda at you and it just missed. I was like so close. Yeah, I, yeah, I caught I, I it. Turned my, it. I turned my <laughs> mouth and I slurped it up. Oh, Tales from Harrow yeah. County, number one from Dark Horse Comics, written by Cullen Bunn, art by Emily Schnall. In this issue, a waitress is trying to hide out and just stay away from a bunch yeah. of weird stuff in her town and keeps finding her anyway. Love the execution of the slow, creeping, terrifying, but weird horror in this book. I thought overall this was really well done. I expected it to be an anthology, but that's not what it was at all. And I appreciated that. What about you guys? Yeah, especially uh, sort of a slow burn uh, first issue like this. I'm happy that we're going to get to sort of 
uh, be here for a little while. I really like the art here. Um, it, the tone that um, that Cullen Bunn is establishing with the writing is really paid off with the art, I feel like. Yeah, I, I really think the art's really kind of cool. They kind of like... Cr- bananas, I could feel uh, it. Yeah, yeah, but I, I really bananas thought... cool. It was uh, the kind of creepy New York that was kind of created there in the beginning. I also really like the move of being like, here's this... Uh, story about these two people in an alleyway then we cut back to the diner and then we're going to go back to that story i thought was so smart and i like how it trusted the reader to remember what was going on with that so yeah i uh i appreciated those moves and uh, i liked how like we're kind of getting a longer kind of story here so yeah i think it's cool um pete uh, real quick before while we have a second before we get to our next comic would you review this banana uh, yeah. Uh, how would you review this banana right here? Uh, it's a little smaller than your average banana and also invisible, but I'm sure it's delicious. I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> Superman, son of Kal-El, number 11 from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by C and Torby. And this issue, John is dealing with the revelation from the end of the last issue where Batman told him, hey, your boyfriend's a bad guy. Yeah. Batman's talking shit. Batman is talking, talking shit. shit. And Batman gets called on his shit this issue. Pete, it. you raised your hand there. What's going on? I love this comic. Uh, so good. The, the art is unbelievable. It was just uh, such a cool depiction of these characters, such small moments, but ha- having such huge. The fact that, you know, Batman got put in his place by yeah. uh, Superman's dad was just. Yeah. On. Paul Kent, Paul Kent's like, what the fuck did you just say? Yeah, well, hey, yo, Batman, you better yo, Batman. back the fuck up. Also, Batman, real quick, let's look at your history. Hmm, uh, what? You're yeah. gonna take shit. You were dating Catwoman and uh, a murdering psycho. Okay, cool, 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 cool. I can see why you would want to give people advice. Why don't you sit the fuck down and let this guy live his fucking life? Uh, I also like really- that Paul Kent's like, yeah, I talk to Alfred a lot. Oh, yeah. oh, you don't know? I talk to Alfred? Yeah, I talk to Alfred all the time. Miss the guy. And Batman's yeah. like, I don't even talk to Alfred. He just brings me soups. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, uh, I thought it was such a cool moment. I I feel like uh, this is breathing a fresh air into these characters. It's really giving, like, uh, having things feel new again. I mean, the, you know, just kind of, it makes Batman feel different. It makes Superman feel different. It's just, I'm really. Makes you feel different. Yeah, it's just making smart choices with the character. I really appreciate the points that they're trying to make here. Uh, it's very, very impressive uh, uh, what's happening. And I loved how Pa Kent was rolling uh, deep for his son. It was just, it was just beautiful. All of the relationships here are great. The one additional one that I'll give a shout out is the exchange with Nightwing, where Superman yeah. says, hey, do you mind if I come and help you with those ninjas? And Nightwing is like, I do not feel proprietary about these ninjas. Come and help me. It's okay. Yeah. Also, there's a fire. Yeah. yeah great stuff. Just just that, yeah. Such great. a great issue. This book is so good. Moving on. One of the no- best comics. One of the best comics on the stands right now. Fantastic. But also, not reading this. We were talking about, I don't know if it was on the live show or whatever, but like uh, dealing with relationships and family. And this is a great example of that. And like Superman going to his friend first for kind of advice to kind of talk things out and really. I just thought it was uh, it was just so well done. Noctera, number 10, from Image Comics, written by Scott Snyder, art by Tony S. Daniel. In this issue, we are continuing to put pedal to the metal per the title, as the group is finding out more about how to potentially bring light back to the world. Things go horribly wrong in this issue, but they also make some move forward as well in terms of the overall plot. How are you feeling about this so far? Yeah, you want to talk about some crazy moves. Uh, This... Every, you know, I feel like I'm a broken record, but every time I'm like, okay, cool, I understand where it's going on. We're just going to sit with this idea for a little bit. It fast forwards to the next thing. It's really impressive how quickly this is moving, how much uh, this continues to change, what characters they're focusing on. This is a great example of comic book storytelling in an impressive fashion. Uh, yeah, the 
the characters, the art, uh, this is just really a ton of fun, increasingly exploring the world that they set up and a villain who not only changes sides, but also kind of like really helps tell the story is very impressive. You got competing Williams trying to inherit the name Bill. Yeah. Which, you know, all Williams out there are chasing that. Uh, right now, Billy Shakespeare obviously has it. In my normal <laughs> life, I put the pedal near the metal, mm-hmm. uh, above the metal, mm-hmm. halfway toward the metal. Never do I put it to the metal. So uh, it's too fast. So I appreciate it here in this book that we're going all the way. And I do think this book does go hard uh, all the time. Stuff's always happening. Yeah. Last, we are going to talk about, as mentioned earlier, this is a request from Jolene on iTunes. Catwoman the Cat File from DC Comics, written by Chuck Dixon, art by Jim Belent. This is originally printed in issues, I believe, 15 through 18 in the 1993 version of Catwoman, or at least it was released in 1993. It's a arc that finds Catwoman going on a James Bond-esque adventure as a guy first spars with her and then eventually, spoiler, wants to marry her. Mm. Now, uh, I feel like we should put this out here up front before we even get into the book proper. Yes. One thing we mentioned on a earlier podcast where we teed this up is, gosh, whatever happened to Chuck Dixon? He was really uh, an important part of 90s comics. The thing that happened to him is, uh, reportedly, he became a QAnon supporter and a comic skater, among other things, uh, has become involved in some absolutely horrible trash Literally making a QAnon comic. Yes. Which is not good. Awful. So I'm going to just go out and say, and this is no reflection of the request from Jolie, and I want to be very clear about that up front. Nobody should buy this comic book. It's out of print (laughs) anyway, but don't support this. It is a bummer of a thing because obviously there's other people that worked on it. I haven't looked into necessarily like Jim Belen's background or anything like that. Uh, clearly people put this out. They put, you know, uh, presumably their heart into it. But Chuck Dixon, in my opinion, is not somebody you should be supporting in any way whatsoever. Uh, that said, do we want to talk about this book at all since we did actually read it regardless? Well, it was uh, interesting that we kind of got in the uh, Batman movie, we got to see the kind of like the escape uh, that they kind of, that Catwoman used was what they used in the uh, movie. So I thought that was interesting. We kind of got to see that's or, that origin story there. So yeah. that was interesting. Beautifully drawn panels here of that. I, I, I gotta be honest, not to be like a total negative deli here. Uh, and granted, a lot of the experience reading this was like, oh, if I read this back in the 90s, I would be like, this is so cool. But now the whole idea, and I know this is comics in general, but the whole idea of like Catwoman basically being a naked person who they edited out the nipples and then colored her purple. Very weird. To nah. me. I, I, I don't need to read comic books like that anymore. To be Well, honest. that was definitely most comics back in. Yes. Uh, back back in the day. Um so, like, I, I wouldn't say that this comic is specifically doing that more than other Absolutely comics. Absolutely not. That was 90s um, comic books. Also, the villain is very, like, he has a thing on his face, and he's much wider than he should be for a human being. So, again, a very, like, 90s thing. So, of the yeah. time, I think that all makes sense. I thought you were going to say, like, a very 90s thing, like Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> Phantom yeah. of the Opera, very 90s. That's what I want. Went to see it. I mean, it's 15 true. times in theaters, you know, couldn't get enough. Come see it at the beautiful Pantages Theater in lovely Toronto. How, how does. Gloriously restored. Pantages how does that chandelier fall so slowly, you know? Yeah. I don't know. We'll never you, know. I don't know what what show you saw, but it followed well, fast. Uh, really? Alex saw it uh, in, uh, in probably on Broadway because uh, mm-hmm. he was a fancy oh, So not lad. in the original theater. We, Pete and I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pete and I saw a commercial for it playing in Toronto because we grew up in upstate New York and they ran the shit out of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it worked. Uh, me, my parents took me to go see it because of that commercial. In Toronto. Yeah. At, the, at the restored Pantages Theater. Oh, I went. Oh, yeah. Wow. 
We oh, never. Yeah. And the chandelier moved quickly when you saw it at the Pantages yeah, Theater? Yeah, it fell all the way almost to the bottom and then stopped. And then really? Kind of like, yeah. Several actors were horribly injured. In the yeah. Oh, my God, that's terrifying. One yeah, of them horribly I disfigured on his face. Really he had to wear a mask. That because I hated the musical while I was watching it. And then they end the act with the chandelier coming down. And I knew that was the big thing. And I was like, why is this Masquerade! So Here's People the other thing. The choreography on Masquerade, it's all just like masquerade. stamping down a staircase. Like, come on, man. Uh, don't you? Fucking attack that! That was that was beautiful. It was um, a different time. It's oh, like the just, '90s uh, comics of choreography. Yeah, all yeah. the actors are just painted with their their nipples sticking out. <laughs> the the other part <laughs> that I wanted to say that I thought was funny was when Catwoman was waiting to kind of like further her gadgetry to kind of pop the safe. She had a juice box, mm-hmm. which I thought was, it was funny. Fun. I did. Like um, that. I mean. It, the iconic cover in uh, issue 18, her in her costume with the wedding dress on. Yeah. Um, definitely one I think was a trading card that I had uh, back when that was a thing. Um, I This this Catwoman, we, we talk a lot about how Catwoman has changed. Her uh, wardrobe has changed um, so much. Uh, this is a very specific age for her costume that we just yeah. talked about. But I, I also think the character is different. Reading this comic now, I was like, this isn't selena kyle this is the huntress Mm. i was like this is a huntress story to me um and i don't know if what how that maybe has changed um i I like a lot of what the uh how the character sort of is what the character's doing and like i said some of the art especially in the first two issues i thought was real beautiful like her uh like the the angle we're seeing her run down the building was really cool and and all that kind of stuff. It definitely gets bogged down by '90s like male gaze stuff. Uh, I think over the course of it, but um, I did. Yeah, I did appreciate the fact that like she was like, "Oh, I'm gonna have these giant boots, and then I can kind of have my whip right here, uh, you know, and keep it in there." So I thought that was like, "Oh, cool, and smart." There you go. Smart stuff coming out of that book. Uh, seriously, though, Jolene, thank you for the recommendation. If yeah. you, Jolene, you're great. Yes. Chuck Dixon, you're not great. If you would like <laughs> to suggest something to us, preferably not a Chuck Dixon book, then you can do so in the comments over on iTunes, as mentioned at the beginning. It can be in a trade, a graphic novel, something. Teach Ninja Turtles, you yes, know, whatever you want. It can be literally anything, if it's from anything. The Purge or anything like that. If you use... Bone. There is a little bit of a preference if you use like a Minions fan name or something like that as your account name, but no pressure. No pressure. Absolutely. Doubling down on this. Making it feel too real. All I'm saying is Minions Rise of Gru is coming out into theaters this summer. The more you say it, it's giving me shivers all up and down my meats, and I don't appreciate (laughs) that. If you'd like to support this podcast, (laughs) patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast YouTube coming out. We would love to chat with you about comic books. Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. See, Alex is the weird one, is what I'm just saying. I'm, I'm normal. Justin Dana. has the meats. This is Dana Nazgood. <laughs>